This is Kate Moorhead, and you're listening to Find It, The Vital Signs of the Spiritual Life. All right, well, we're going to get started so that we give you some time to talk amongst yourself. Um, I'd like to introduce to you Father Gary Jones, who is with us from Richmond, Virginia. Um, and uh, we, we were trying to figure out how long we've known each other. We disagree. Somewhere between maybe 16 to 20 years. Um, uh, I first met uh, Father Gary because I was at a church in Kansas, and I was trying to learn how to run a big staff. And uh, I traveled down to Memphis, Tennessee to see uh, Father Gary run his church. Um, and uh, they were also doing this really beautiful Celtic service in the evening uh, that I was very curious about and ended up copying. <laughs> so, um, but then we've been part of a support group of clergy, um, which has been meeting together for about a decade. Well, I've been in it for a decade. How many years were you in urban, suburban? A long time. Remember, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. Just a few years before you came. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I admire most about you, Gary, and maybe we can begin talking about is this notion of um, contemplative prayer. And you talked about it a little bit yesterday. Um, in this class, we've been touching on the vital signs of the spiritual life, and we talked some about centering prayer when we did God. You remember that, guys? Um, but um, tell us how you began to be interested in and why you got interested in that particular kind of prayer as opposed to intercessory prayer. There, there are so many kinds. Why, why silence? Why did that appeal to you? Yeah, well, I, um, I, I was telling Kate yesterday that... Uh, Early in my ministry, my, my work was in a downtown church like this one, and my primary responsibility was with the homeless and the shut-ins of the parish. Uh, both populations were those that I could learn a lot from about faith and dependence on God and so forth. Um, and the bishop uh, wanted me to do that work full-time with the homeless, and so um, I, I suddenly, though, felt myself lacking a sense of community, and I went to an Episcopal monastery, SSJE, the Society of St. John the Evangelist, just so I could have community on a regular basis. And it was there, meeting the, the brothers at SSJE, that I learned about contemplative practice. An Episcopalian all my life, had been to seminary, was already ordained, and I still feel like I've, I came to know a way of praying that's become most important to me only then through the, through the brothers. It's ancient. Um, the earliest church was all about uh, contemplative practice. Jesus himself regularly, when he needed to be rejuvenated, to be re-centered, he would remove himself to a lonely place apart, to collect himself uh, and in God. And, um, and I found that true for myself, too. So just being introduced to it, it seemed to take very early on for me and um, has become a very important in my daily life. And what do you do daily? Um, what is your prayer practice? Yeah. I, I, I practice something like centering prayer and Lectio Divina, uh, this holy reading of the Bible. Um, and occasionally, I'll um, engage in something called Ignatian prayer, you know, just sort of imaginative 
where we're, where one put, you put yourself in a story in the Bible and just let it come to life and imagine how you are participating in that story, how Jesus is interacting with you. What does he say to you? Um, how do you respond to Jesus? It, it's, uh, so that's a, just on occasion, but most days I'm simply trying to set aside at least a couple of times a day where I can be still, as the Psalm says, be still and know, know that I am God. So you practice uh, a couple of different times a day. What does that look like? So you wake up in the morning and how long do you sit and then when and when? And tell us more detail. The, the golden retrievers are much more eager to get my attention, it seems. So I tend to them, first of all. <laughs> and, and then once they're all sort of settled, uh, still no one else is up usually. It's quite early. And I can spend some time by myself there. And then in the evening, my wife has become a real practitioner, too. And she calls it her, her quiet time. Everybody knows when mom is doing her, her quiet time. And so she's... Um, she goes away for 20, 30 minutes, and, uh, and I find my time sometime after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just, it's, it varies a lot. You know the schedule of a parish priest. It's, it varies a lot. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you practice, you sit in silence, and you say a word. Is that right? Yeah, I, you, you probably heard of something called the Jesus Prayer, which actually has its roots in today's gospel lesson. Um, Bartimaeus calls out Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, the early church um, saw Jesus in the wilderness dealing with temptations, dealing with distracting influences in his life when he's trying to center his life on God and be present to God holy. He's, he, he deals with those distractions with a simple phrase from the psalm or from Deuteronomy, some, some, some little piece of scripture from the Bible. He doesn't engage the thought. He doesn't try to talk back to the devil. You know? he, he just says this scripture and the devil goes away. Well, the earliest Christians developed this way of praying in the desert, mothers and fathers, where they, they would choose a word, a piece of scripture. It could be a very familiar one. On the, as you settle into a simple breathing, on the inhale, say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. On the exhale, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And after you've sort of settled into that place quietly, then the scripture can just go away and you can just be still with God. Then you find yourself thinking about that terrible meeting you've got later on in the day or something you're worried about in your family, and you just return to the word, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and let it go away again. Return to the silence and stillness with the conviction that God is at work in you, loving you, offering you guidance and comfort, healing. And the more one can make oneself present to that healing activity of God in stillness and in quiet, the more it tends to sort of show up in your day-to-day -day life. So, and then by using a prayer word, Jesus' prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. 
is sort of derived from the Bartimaeus story today. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And I'll often just say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy. And after a while, that, those, that phrase of scripture or that Jesus prayer, it shows up at the most interesting times during your day, in traffic or wherever. Mm-hmm. And you can have your own little mini prayer time at a stoplight. Just sort of say it again and enter into that sacred space momentarily. You and I are so much alike. I talked about that this morning in the devotion. I learned the Jesus prayer from my Greek Orthodox godfather oh. in Greek when I was 17. Oh. So I've been saying it since then, but he taught it to me as Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me. So same, same thing. Beautiful. Yeah. But it's like a spinning wheel. It just goes in your mind after a while, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Is that, yeah, I, I am so, so drawn to this. I, um, our minds, you know how you get, you, you get into the car and, and a, a great song comes on and you're singing along and you get out of the car and that thing's still playing in your head. It keeps yeah. coming back. Well, we have all kinds of things running around and all sorts of furniture in our minds. And it's lovely to have some established furniture like the Kyrie. Yeah. One thing you said yesterday that I loved, one of the images that stuck with me the most was the one about the wild animal. Where did that come from? Do you remember? Where that did, too is you tell Parker them that, Palmer. That's yeah. Parker Palmer. Tell oh. them that image again. I love that. Yeah, Parker Palmer, who was a Quaker, and he he grew up Methodist. I didn't realize that. Oh, really? That. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. And he became interested in silent prayer, and um, you can you can actually hear him speak about it on a podcast called Encountering Silence. And uh, these people who run this podcast have all sorts of luminaries of the spiritual life. And Parker Palmer has two sessions, two two broadcasts with them. And he, in there, talks about how um, early in his professional life, he went off on a long retreat and, and tried to practice this Quaker way of being silent, God, and um, letting his sort of inner teacher, his soul, come to the surface. And he found that he hated it. He hated silence. He said he wasn't cut out for it. It was just, you know, constant thinking and distraction and frustration. But he realized that if he just stuck with it, something was actually happening there. And he, he describes it as being his old, worn-out um, conceptions of God and religion were slowly being dismantled, and it was painful. And he was retur- returning to something uh, more essential about the divine, the holy. Well, he, he later would talk about the soul. Our soul is like a wild animal like a deer. And you know what it's like when you're in a clearing somewhere and there's a lot of brush or forest around and you know there are deer out there, but they are going to stay in hiding until they know it's safe to come out. So if you're quite still for a long period of time, the deer will emerge, will come out into the clearing. He said it's similar for in the spiritual life that um, the more we learn to be still, the more our souls 
which can't stand all the acrimony and contentiousness in society. Um, they go into hiding when we go crashing through the woods, you know, of our life. Um, but if we're still and our souls believe it is safe to emerge, they will. The soul will come out. And so he, he used that image in helping Christians learn, anybody, learn how to be in a small group. He calls them circles of trust. If we can be together in four, five, six people, and the only agenda is to support one another and allowing one's soul to emerge. If we're asking questions like, where have I seen God at work in my life this week? Where do I sense God beckoning to me? And I'm able to speak the truth. And you're not jumping in and saying, oh, my, my experience is very different. The soul will stay submerged unless the soul realizes, no, this is a safe place. This is a safe place for my soul to come out. Gradually, one senses something rising in oneself that one can actually speak into one's life. And he says the ultimate goal for him, Parker Palmer, is to unite one's soul with one's role in life, to let the innermost truth of who you are be expressed on the outside. But we live in such a judgmental, contentious world that that is often very difficult. And so we, we wear masks and just do our best to sort of navigate a difficult world which makes it so important to have communities like this where you can call together some trusted people and you know that every day they're praying for you. They love you. And when you see them again, they say, oh, I've been thinking about you. or remember how you said you had that important meeting coming up in your life or how your daughter was struggling or whatever. Tell me how you are. And you know they mean that they, they just love you. Your soul can emerge in such trusting communities. And so that's where the whole image of the soul as a wild animal, it stays in hiding until it knows it's safe. That's beautiful. And Gary, we've, we've now moved into this portion of the, another vital sign, which is give. How would you say when your soul emerges, how does generosity proceed from that? How would you say, I mean, cause really this, the generosity shouldn't come out of the shame or craziness of the world. It should come from some kind of a deep place, right? Yeah. Well, you, you know, I always, what Jesus said, where, where your heart is, where you're placing your heart, where you place your treasure, that's where your heart will be. And I think, you know, the, the reverse is true. If, if you can just be in touch with your soul and what's most important to you, then your, your treasure starts to reflect that. I, I love the way you put it with the little app today. You said we have all kinds of things on our, oh, yeah. on yeah. our phone. Right. And, you know, we need to have God on there too, because of course that's most important to us. And yet we don't evince that normally in our everyday life. A, a sort of story came to mind for me from just this morning when I realized y'all were dealing with giving, the giving portion. And it's, it's from my, when I was in college. My father was a, a law professor and a Sort of big personality. He was, um, but he was a devoted Episcopalian. I mean, loved the church. And one day I called home just to see, check in with my dad. And, 
And I found out that he had had a big blow up with his rector. And um, he wasn't like my dad. And I said, well, dad, that doesn't sound good. What, what'd you do? He said, well, I went home and I increased my pledge. <laughs> and I realized what he was saying is um, he did not want his life, his soul, to be captive to this contentious thing that had happened. He wanted to reaffirm the most important thing in his life, and that was his relationship with God and his community of God in the church. Um, and so he just went home and as a way of kind of evincing his ultimate priorities, increased his pledge. <laughs> what a guy. Um, now, you're probably not going to have a great increase in pledges because everybody <laughs> loves you already. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful concept. Yeah. So um, it's such a blessing to have you here. And you alluded to it a little bit, the, the, the group, because we're going to get, we, we have God give, grow, and we do get to group eventually. But you alluded to a little bit that notion of how, um, true community can be found in a few. Um, what is your recommendation as we look to establish these, these communities within our big community, which you have to have in a resource church? Yeah. Um, what is the best kind of small group that you've seen work or, or maybe different kinds? Yeah. Well, you know, my, my wife, is, who became Episcopalian in college, um, grew up Baptist Southern Baptist, and um, I don't know, any, anybody grew up Southern Baptist? Probably some people online, maybe. <laughs> I mean, they're all over the South. So uh, uh, in the Southern Baptist Church, you might, you probably will go to church on Sunday, maybe Sunday night and Wednesday, but you definitely will go to Sunday school. You know, I mean, for your life, you, you've got these same people you're with for years. And they're the ones who show up in the hospital when you're sick. They're the ones who know. They're the first ones to know if you lose your job or you're having trouble, whatever, or something beautiful happens. Um, having that kind of community is so important. But Episcopalians, we're used to coming to forums where you, you, know, you do something intellectual or you get into a Bible study and you sort of study the scripture together. And we, we're sort of an, an, I think, I feel like we're kind of an overeducated church. We are an intellectual church, yes. Yeah. So some of this small group stuff is a little more daunting for some. Now, you can get people in a small group to study the Bible without too much trouble. Because you say, all right, let's study Genesis together or something. And, well, okay, that Genesis has a beginning and, a, and an end. And I can be finished with this thing if I don't like it and I'll never come back again. But in a small group, you know, that you and sort of feel trapped. Well, the best I've seen happen, is first you have to sort of lay the ground rules about what you're hoping for will happen in the group. And I like to think they're not study groups primarily. The Bible can be quite helpful in a group. If, if let's say you're looking as a group, you'll sometimes use the gospel lesson appointed for the coming Sunday, you know, this sort of why don't we just take a moment to ask what's going on in this story and how is that story, how is that my story as well? How, how do we see that story going on in the world? So Bible study can work as long as it's a capitalist 
for what's going on in your life, not just, you know, what does it really mean? Another sort of important thing for me about good small groups is um, to at least in beginning, getting them started in a parish church. If you can start with sort of, we started with closed ended groups. That is, we, we established covenant periods, 10 week period, three 10 week periods through an academic year. So we'd say to people, you know, to live a balanced Christian life, coming to church is important. You need to have a sense of how you're part of a body that, that has all sorts of parts, like you might be an eye and somebody else is an ear or a foot or a hand, and the hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you, and the eye can't say to the nose, I have no need of you. You know, where would the body be without the sense of smell of all the, all the stuff that St. Paul says about we need each other, and we can sense that in a larger gathering. But we all need this smaller, more, more intimate group too. And if we can convince each other that that is a fundamental part of living a balanced Christian life. And a third component would be, we need to understand more what Jesus meant when he said, when you pray, go in your room and shut the door. And God who sees you in secret will reward you there. There will be a time in everybody's life when it's just you and God. One of the most poignant times for me was here in Jacksonville in the Mayo Clinic when I was suddenly diagnosed with cancer, a very aggressive form, and I had to be isolated from everyone and was at, at the first day of treatment. The nurse said goodnight, turned off the light, and it was just me and the beeping machine. And I, I, so I started praying the way the brothers had taught me to pray in the monastery. And I was a runner too. And, um, and your heartbeat really slows down when you're in contemplative, a contemplative place. And suddenly the door is practically kicked open because my heart's being monitored out at the nurse's station. They said, Mr. Jones, are you okay? And they thought I was flatlining, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and after two times of this through the middle of the night, they realized everything was okay. But it, there comes a time in our life when it's just us. So that's three components. The big church, the body, the more intimate group where we are known and loved more intimately for who we are. And we are praying for others who are praying for us. They have our back. They're there for us. And then the being alone with God. If we can convince Episcopalians that this is true, usually the big part and the private part are okay with Episcopalians. It's the more intimate stuff that gets to be difficult if it's not just a, an intellectual exercise. Then the next step might be to say, just try it for 10 weeks. Have a covenant period. If you don't like it, you can get out. Almost nobody gets out. <laughs> you know, Sometimes somebody has something going on in their life. And they say, I have to take a break but I want to get back in the next covenant period, you know, and that's, those are some a of good the recipe. Recipes. I like that. I like that. Well, I think our time is up. Is that right, Michael? Or I think we've, we've probably talked long enough. So we're going to let you all talk in your groups um, and um, maybe share a little bit about your, uh, if you've tried centering prayer, um, where you are in, 
in that practice. And um, also, if you've ever experienced a small group um, experience where you felt safe, um, maybe, maybe something to discuss is if you were standing in that safe clearing where your deer could come out, what would that look like for you? What kind of, what, what would it look like to have a spiritually safe place um, for, your, for your soul to emerge? All right. Thank you so much, everybody. And thanks, Gary, for being with us this morning. Mm -hmm.